Before we dive into today's episode, there are just a couple things I wanted to go over and say. You know, just some general housekeeping things. First of all, I'm really sorry for the delay in this episode. Um, I was planning on publishing an episode a week, but I ended up sick with COVID, so I had to take two weeks off to recover. And then it's been another week since then of me just playing catch up in school and other responsibilities I have. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm good now though. So we're back. Hopefully I'll have the next couple episodes out in a little bit. And uh, definitely stay careful, guys. Wear a mask, do your part. It's, it's not a fun disease. Um, anyways, if you haven't yet, another thing I'd like to mention is I would really appreciate it if you left a review and a rating on the Apple Podcast app or wherever else you're getting your podcast. Definitely love the feedback. And if you've uh, listened to the first episode, you might recall that the postscript of that episode, I mentioned I'm producing this podcast for my senior project. I'm a student at BYU-Idaho, and it's been really fun to see the number of people listening and downloading the show. And it's been just going up little by little. And it's not just my family members watching either. So uh, I definitely would love to see how much more the show could grow in the next couple weeks. So if there's anyone that you think would enjoy this show, I would definitely encourage you to maybe share it with them. And who knows, maybe we can grow the show a little bit bigger. One last thing before we begin, and this is the, the heavy part of this. Today's topic is going to be diving into the muddy and polarizing world of politics. I figured with the United States election just days away from when I was planning on recording this, it would be you know just the perfect time to dive into political flags. Uh, but obviously there's a lot of feelings and a lot of, uh, a lot of, it's hard to describe, a lot of animosity between the two political parties, especially in the United States. So this is a disclaimer that my views on certain flags and their designs do not necessarily mean that I agree with or disagree with political movements behind them. I'll be taking, talking about uh, a wide range of, of flags, and these range from the pride flag, uh, the Nazi flag, and many of those Trump flags that we've seen. And, and I really, I really, really want to stress, and I'll probably keep doing so during the episode as well, I'm sorry about that, but that my opinion in the episode my opinion on the designs of these flags does not mean I endorse or condemn the political movement. For instance, if I say that the Nazi party had a really effective flag, I am not by any means supporting the Nazi party and what they stood for. Actually, let me just let me just clear that one right out now. I am against Nazis, okay? So there shouldn't be any confusion on that one, at least. Anyways, there, as far as like the Trump flags and the Biden flags and some of these other political movements, I will be talking about them. And my views towards political flags in general are not terribly kind. So if it sounds like I'm bashing, if you, for instance, if you were flying a Trump flag, I'm probably going to talk about how it might not be the greatest thing for our country. And you might disagree, but I'm talking not as a political person. I'm trying to talk from a vexillological point of view. So keep that in mind. Keep an open mind, hopefully. And anyways, on with the show. I'm Austin Riley Miller, and you're listening to Unfurled, the story of our flags. Flags are tribal, and this is something I have said in each of the first three episodes, and it's worth repeating again. Flags are tribal, and today's episode is discussing what are probably the most tribal flags one could possibly create, political flags. But now what's the difference between a political flag and a national flag, because by nature, they're both kind of political, right? And in many ways they are, but consider this. The Canadian flag represents all of Canada. Not just a political faction within it, not just a uh, territory within it, Canada. It represents everyone in there. And the same goes for the United States flag. It's not a Republican or Democrat flag, it's an American flag. 
And I would argue that most national flags stand above the political parties of their respective nations and actually represent the countries as a whole. And now there are a couple exceptions exceptions to this, and I will get to those in a second. But for the most part, I think most national flags are above political parties. And flags come in many different designs and are created for many different purposes. For instance, perhaps you've uh, seen a flag flying outside a business that stood for the corporation, maybe like a corporate emblem on their flag or something. Maybe your university employs a flag. Maybe your sports team has a flag, uh, such as they use in the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, They use a 12th man flag, and that's very representative of just the Seattle Seahawks. So obviously not all flags represent nations or even states, and such is the case with most political flags. Most governments have different political parties vying for the seat of their government. Now, in the United States at least, neither the Democratic nor Republican parties have an official flag. Although there are flags that represent political movements in the United States, and I'll get to those later, but outside of the United States and throughout history, there have been some political party flags. Beyond that, some of those political flags have actually overtaken their country's national flag. Perhaps the most notable of these political flag takeovers happened in 1935, when the Nazi party flag finally pushed the German imperial flag out and became the national flag of the Third Reich. Think about that. A political flag became the only flag used by an entire nation which already had had two different flags. Its its symbolism today is unmistakable. Anyone who lives in the Western world knows what it stood for. The flag has now been banned in 10 different European countries, including Germany, France, Poland, and Russia. But while many people know of this flag, not many people know the history behind its evil usurpation of Germany's two previous flags. And that's where I'm going to start. The political flag that went too far. If I just say the Nazi flag was made by Hitler, it almost doesn't sound true. Hitler, of course, became the keystone to the Nazi party, but to think that he was the one that designed the Nazi flag, it doesn't seem like it should be true. But it is. Perhaps I shouldn't be too surprised. After all, Adolf Hitler was a failed artist, so I suppose maybe he had, you know, some sense of design. And that's the interesting thing about the Nazi flag, is its design was effective, highly effective. And Hitler himself knew that his flag would need to be striking. Of his flag, and I hate to quote Hitler, but anyways, bear with me at least. Hitler said of his flag, in hundreds of thousands of cases, a really striking emblem may be the first cause of awakening interest in a movement. Boy, does that give you chills? And knowing the history, and clearly that proved to be the case. Hitler proposed his flag to the National Socialist Party, that's the the Nazis in case you don't know, in the year of 1920. It would be adopted as the party's flag by July 29th of 1921. The Nazi party would not come to power over Germany until 33. Now, let's take a moment here. We need to go back almost a century though, because during the time between 1848 and 1933, there are actually there were actually two different sets of colors vying for the prestige of being Germany's flag, and this has been going on for a while. So what were these two flags? Well, one is a flag that we would recognize as Germany's flag today. It's uh, the black, red, gold tricolor adopted by the Frankfurt Parliament after the revolutions of 1848, where liberals took power and demanded an elected, elected government in Germany. 
Um, this proved tricky. Germany was not yet a unified nation. And that's really important to note is that Germany was not a unified nation at this time. So a national flag, this is part of the reason why national flags didn't really emerge until uh, the mid 18th century is that a lot of these were provincial states or small little things that were kind of ethnically similar, but not quite in the same nation yet. Anyways, uh, so the liberals took power and, and demanded an elected government in Germany. And it proved tricky because Germany was not unified. And Prussia, which was a German-speaking nation, was still a nation. So to make things more complicated, Austria, another uh, mostly German-speaking nation, was creating ties with Hungary and was a very ethnically diverse place for that time. The German states made a sort of confederation, but the Frankfurt Parliament didn't last long as the larger German states, especially Prussia, eventually took back over and then began bickering amongst themselves again. This led to a war between Russia and the other northern and central German states against the southern German states and Austria. And that was in 1866. The latter continued to use the black, red, and gold tricolor during the war. So Austria had the black, red, gold that they used during the war with the other German states from the south. However, Prussia and the northern states prevailed. And with the end of the German Confederation, the Prussians and northern states created the North German Confederation. After a few years of figuring things out, the new confederation adopted its own tricolor, and this one was similar to the old design, but the horizontal bars were now black, white, and red. And King Wilhelm I of Prussia was actually particularly fond of these colors, and the lack of the gold was has been taken as a snub against the Austrian monarchs who used uh, black and gold for the colors of their, their cells. It was actually under this black, white, and red flag that the Prussians adopted for Northern Germany that Germany unified under and fought the Franco-Prussian War and became a unified Germany. It was also the flag that Imperial Germany fought under during the First World War. And as the German Empire fell in the final days of World War I and the Kaiser abdicated his throne, the unrest in Germany led to what would be known as the Weimar Republic. And this republic then reinstated the old black, red, and gold tricolor flag. And this was the flag of Germany until the Nazi party took control back in 1933. So kind of a, imagine, let me just summarize this a little quicker, a bit of a back and forth, okay? So we had like the Southern, the Austrians had their black, uh, the black, red, gold, you know? And then in the North, the Prussians had more of the red, white, black. And as the monarchy took over, back over, they used the red, white, black. So it's more conservative, more of the monarchy. And then the more, uh, democratically wanted the democratically led government that took over afterwards uh, had the Germany flag that we would recognize today. And again, this lasted until you know the Nazis took over in 33. And so during the time before the Nazis took power, the conservatives and the monarchists of Germany wanted to go back to the old imperial flag and to go back to how things were in Imperial Germany. So it's considered a more conservative flag, and they were the ones saying, hey, let's put the Kaiser back on top. Let's go back to the good old days of Germany. And so the Nazis are going to play on this. And so it makes sense that when Hitler and the Nazis took over, that one of the first things that they did was to reinstate the Imperial tricolor of the black, white, and red. However, this was not the only official flag that was adopted, though. The Nazis also included their own party flag as a national flag. Just to clarify here, that means Germany for a time had two national flags simultaneously, the imperial tricolor and the Nazis swastika flag. And this lasted for uh, a couple years, but once Hindenburg died, 
and Hitler was declared the Führer, he passed a law that ended the dual flag arrangement. And there is some speculation that the so-called Bremen incident caused Hitler to do this. Now I'm sure you're sitting at home asking, what is the Bremen incident, Austin? I've never heard of this before. And this incident happened in New York City, where the German ship Brennan, Bremen sorry, was docked. Anti-Nazi protesters then stormed the ship and tore the Nazi flag off its staff and discarded it into the harbor. The ship flew, at the time, both the imperial flag and the Nazi flag, because they had two national flags, you know? And the American authorities told the outraged German ambassador that, well, the German national flag had not been harmed, only a political party symbol. So subsequently, you know, the law in Germany quickly changed, and the Nazi party then decided that their flag would become the national flag. And the flag stood in all its terrifying horror until the Third Reich fell to the Allies one brutal world war later. The flag itself left a really dramatic impact on society. It used the same colors that the imperial flag used, red, white, and black. And that was no coincidence. The red, white, and white represented the social and national aspects of the party, and the black swastika represented, well, racism and a massive superiority complex. But when Hitler chose those colors, he knew that it would, in a way, appeal to people who were a lot more conservative in Germany. And Frankly, even Kaiser Wilhelm, for the longest time, kept thinking that after the Nazis took over, that he would be reinstated. And of course, Hitler thought the man was an absolute idiot, and having served in World War I when they lost, he was not a fan of the Kaiser at all. But they, they played on that conservative side of the old Germany, and it worked. And this flag, the Nazi flag, is probably the closest thing to a truly evil flag that has ever existed. And I hate to say it, but its design was just terribly effective. If Hitler knew one thing, he understood the importance and impact of a strong and well-designed symbol. Aesthetically, the Nazi flag does what it needs to do. It follows the rules of exilology to a T. And looking at history, it is easy to see the impact that it had. Even today, there are people who, who use its cruel and evil symbolism to promote hatred and racism. It's, it's a really scary flag. Another almost equally scary flag is also a political flag, and it's about as old as the Nazi flag, and it was used for a lot longer. That's right, I'm talking about the Red Banner, the flag of the Soviet Union. This was a uh, revolutionary banner used by the Soviets after they overthrew the Tsar in Russia. This flag was adopted in 1922, and it represented the Communist Party in Russia, which became the USSR. Its iconic hammer and sickle, along with the Red Star, are now, well, they're synonymous with communism in Soviet Russia. What's interesting about the flag is that it's inspired a lot of other political national flags. It has a lot of descendants, you could say. All the nations whose governments are currently controlled by communist regimes, and flags like these are going to include Vietnam, uh, North Korea, China, uh, Myanmar, and that's just to name a few. There's a couple others as well. And all these flags actually have, I hate to say it, pretty good design. Even though the governments they represent are not ones I would ever want to live under, the red and the gold and some of the colors they use, it's striking, and they too seem to understand that there's something about rallying behind a flag. And we've discussed this on the show. There's a militariness to flags, and there's something about rallying behind it that it really, it's it's tribal. It's something that's psychological to a very fundamental level of our human psyche. And so... 
with it being such an effective and striking flag, the Soviet flag, the Soviet flag became a sort of boogeyman for America and the Western world. Uh, for decades, as the Cold War heightened, tensions in the post-war era were really high, and its descendants, such as the current Chinese flag, still to an extent fill that role today. As an American, it's it's hard to imagine a political flag taking over our beloved stars and stripes. And again, in the United States, neither of the two major political parties currently have a flag. They just have unofficial mascots, really. But that doesn't mean that we are without our own political flags. For instance, many social political movements have had flags. Here's an example. In 1978, the rainbow gay pride flag emerged and has been used at pride events and marches ever since. And it's, it's an effective flag, I would argue. It's simple, follows the rules, and it's really well beloved by those members of those communities. With uh, the events of this year and the Black Lives Matter protests occurring across the country, uh, there's been a Black Lives Matter flag that has emerged. Um, this one breaks a couple of the rules of, of well, it breaks really just one rule of uh, vexillology, and it's that pretty much the whole flag is just words. But they're big and simple enough that I think it kind of works and the colors are very simple. So it follows all the rules but the words thing and a lot of flags break this rule. But both of these examples are not representative of a singular political party so much as they are of about social movements that could still be defined as political. They still have political agendas in a way. But perhaps the most purely political flag that has emerged in the United States in recent history has been the advent of the Trump 2020 flag. And this flag is an interesting phenomenon. If you're American, there is, there's got to be zero chance that you haven't seen one of these flags, even if politics are not your thing. These things are everywhere. Uh, and I, I amused myself as I drove even to, to come record this on campus. I just live a couple blocks away. And uh, I counted probably, I think, four or five of these things just driving a couple blocks. I only live about two miles away. And I... I, I kind of noted to myself that it's funny how many of these things I saw and I didn't see a single American flag or any other flag really. And that's not thing to say against people who support Trump or anything. I just thought it was kind of funny that they're so popular. And if for some reason you're unfamiliar with this flag or really flags, there's a lot of similar flags that have all have Trump on them. They're typically the typical one is blue with uh, Trump 2020 written in white in the middle. And there's also typically the Keep America Great slogan on the bottom, and it's framed with a red border with five white stars above and below the writing. Now, if you've been following the show for a couple weeks, you'll hopefully have picked up on one of the rules for making a, a good flag. One of the most broken among those, as I've said even just this episode, is the no writing rule, which all these flags break. Uh, obviously, this flag breaks that rule big time. In fact, pretty much every variety of the Trump flag does. But it's important to note that the basic Trump flag wasn't initially designed as a flag. Really, it's not a flag at all. It's a yard sign that has been made into a flag. And this begs the question, how did a lawn sign get turned into a popular flag? And boy, is this popular amongst Trump supporters. I think the most common place I've seen it is actually flying in the beds of some of these massive pickup trucks alongside either an American flag or sometimes even a thin blue line flag, which is yet another political flag in reaction to the political stress during this year. But back to my question, how did this political sign become a flag? And the answer is not clear cut by any means. 
and I'm gonna have to dive into the muddy world of speculation from what I know of flags and the current political climate, so just know that I very well could be wrong in my analysis of this. And again, I'm trying to look at this from as much of a vexillological standpoint as I can, but being that it's politics, and I have my own personal biases as well, it's complicated. But here's my shot at it. First of all, the United States is not a very old country compared to most of the nations of Europe. Our national identity is younger than places such as the United Kingdom or France or Germany. And as the most diverse nation on the planet, our culture has been called a melting pot by many. But this means being an American can be a difficult thing to define. But we seem to love our flag. It's a symbol of how different states can come together to make one nation. It, it can be hard to realize just how much we use and love our flag if you're an American. I've heard from a number of my friends and acquaintances from outside of the United States that we use our flag way more than they use theirs. And it's not just that they don't love their flag. That's not it at all. It's just that the stars and stripes are just used a ton. And it's hard to say why this is the case, but I, I mentioned our national identity as one reason. Another would perhaps be the September 11th attacks in 2001. The shock that came from that day led to a, a large rally behind the flag effect for then-President George W. Bush, as his support increased dramatically for a, a time. But the president's popularity wasn't the only thing that increased. Feelings of patriotism rose across the country and people began to fly the American flag as a sign of solidarity, or for some as a sign of supporting our troops, or for just for supporting America. And I would argue that for many Americans, that importance of flying the American flag as a sign of supporting our nation hasn't waned, even if the popularity of George W. Bush did. And the necessity of showing that support seems to have remained pretty steady over the last couple years. So let's fast forward to today. And Americans still love our flag, myself included, really. Flags are everywhere, and that's just normal now. So what about the Trump flag? Even during the re-election campaign of President Bush, we didn't see a bunch of Bush 2004 flags everywhere. We also didn't see any such flags in massive popularity for President Obama or John McCain. In 2012, there were no Romney flags either. So, so what changed with Donald Trump? And this is where it gets really tricky to not sound partisan on this issue, and I'm going to try. But frankly, President Donald Trump is a highly polarizing political figure. Most people either love him or they hate him. And there's, there's really not much room for in between. And I would argue that an avid Trump supporter would be much more likely to fly an American flag behind their pickup truck to begin with. So why they like flying these flags makes sense. But it's interesting the differences in symbolism that this makes for the campaign. Yard signs up until 2016 have been the primary way people tend to show support for a political candidate in America. Typically, these start to pop up during the primary races, you know, maybe in late spring. And then they really spring up around the September and October, leading up to the election day in early November. Regardless of who wins or loses, almost all of those political yard signs that are everywhere are gone before Thanksgiving some three weeks later. And this makes sense, I think, because a yard sign is used to raise awareness about your desired candidate. And they're particularly effective for lesser-known candidates just to get their names out there. It's an unfortunate fact that most voters in the United States, and most voters in general, are not terribly educated on the candidates they're voting on, especially further down the ballot they go. A flag, by nature, isn't about raising awareness. 
Nobody flies the American flag to simply bring awareness to the United States. A flag historically has marked territory of nations and represents possession of places by armies of those nations. Flying the American flag is about showing that you love America and that you're an American, and not an attempt of trying to persuade others to love it. Perhaps I can put it this way. A, f a flag is about showing identity and personality, and maybe even possession, whereas a yard sign simply endorses or advertises a candidate. The difference may seem subtle, but it's there, and I argue that it's quite significant. Flying a Trump flag isn't just a political endorsement, it's, it's a statement that one is a Trump supporter. It's about an identity, and flags endure as well. This year, I've seen a lot of Trump 2016 flags as well as Trump 2020 flags. There's, these are not things you just discard after the, the candidate wins. It's not like a yard sign that you just toss. I mean, for instance, I mean, how many people have actually seen this year in 2020 Trump 2016 yard signs? Probably not as many, but there are a number of Trump 2016 flags that are flying alongside the new and improved Trump 2020 flags. It's, it shows a continual identity that one shows all the time, much like how one would continue to fly the Stars and Stripes on days other than just national holidays. And with the polarization of the current political climate, the identity people show through these flags can be blunt and sometimes rude. As I said, there's a lot of variations of the Trump 2020 flag. Some of these say uh, women for Trump, for instance, and have different colors. Uh, the basic flag is again, just an adoption of the Trump 2020 yard sign that has the campaign slogan of keep America great. But some have alternate slogans, some of which are kind of profane and kind of harsh. One I've seen a lot reads, uh, no more BS, but you know, that last word's not abbreviated. Another quaintly tells the reader to Shall I say, screw, yeah, screw your feelings, but you know, with a much more abrasive four-letter word. Some of these flags aren't even derived from political yard signs, and they get kind of weird, and they seem to be trying to break all of the rules of exilology. It's, uh, there's a couple of these. There's one where Trump looks like Rambo, uh, but the most ridiculous of these is a flag. Uh, it's hard to even call it a flag. It's just so busy. And it's just kind of weird that they made it a flag. It really should just be a poster. It's like more of a poster that they've made into a flag. Uh, it's a flag, though, with Trump triumphantly standing on a tank that has his name written on it. Holding, He's holding a sniper rifle, and there's, like, bombs bursting in air. There's also a, a bald eagle flying next to him. There's money falling from the sky like confetti. And there's, I think, I think I counted three different American flags in the background as well, as as well as the Gadsden Don't Tread on Me flag. I, did I mention the Eagles uh, has a machine gun? Oh, and, and Trump's wearing under his suit jacket. It looks to be a, a wrestling championship belt of some kind. Honestly, the more the more I look at it, the more I see in it. It's it's just so wild. It feels like it should be a satire, but it is literally for sale on Amazon, and I honestly don't think that people are buying this ironically. And that's the thing, there's like this identity that goes behind flying a Trump flag. It's such a thing that even after 2016, it feels like the campaign just never ended because people kept flying their flags. Having followed the election this year and seeing the images from President Trump's campaign rallies, there are times where it looks like there are more Trump flags than American flags. And I don't know if that's really the case or not, but it, it can feel that way. And while I don't think that a Trump flag would ever replace the stars and stripes, I don't feel like I see state flags flying below the American flag as much as I used to either. 
more often than not, I'm going to see a Trump flag there. And granted, most states' flags are terrible, so I'll give them that. But the identity that people feel for Trump would, I guess, just looking at flagpoles across America, the, the identity people feel for Trump would appear to be superseding the identity that some people feel for their, their individual states. At least such is the case in both Idaho and Utah from what I've seen. Again, I could be wrong about this, but from what I'm personally saying, this is just what I see. And with the increase of all these Trump flags, it was only a matter of time, I suppose, before Biden flags began to emerge. I've seen a few, though the number is nothing compared to the amount of Trump flags, and frankly, they look just as bad as the Trump flags do. Clearly, the few Biden flags that are sold and flown are literally a direct reaction to the Trump flags, but for the most part, they, they haven't really caught on. And I think that actually has to do a lot with the main differences between these two candidates. In, in some ways, these two men are very similar. Uh, one's 74, the other 77. So three years difference. Uh, both are white with light hair and blue eyes. Both hail from the northeastern United States. And that's pretty much where the similarities end. Honestly, Joe Biden's a pretty typical run-of-the-mill politician, albeit a rather old one. And the same could go for the last Republican presidential nominee as well. Uh, both John McCain and Mitt Romney were also pretty typical politicians. And none of them that I've mentioned had numerous supporters waving flags with their names before now. Trump is anything but typical. And neither were these political flags until 2016. As a vexillologist, it worries me a little bit to see so many people, so many people with political flags. And this goes for the up-and-coming Biden flags as much as it goes for the Trump flags. Historically, political flags have toppled governments, and that's because flags are powerful. They, they aren't some flimsy yard sign that people just toss away whether after the election day ends. Flags tend to endure. We don't typically think about how flags affect us, but they do. And that could be a dangerous thing if left completely unchecked. Understanding not just the fact that flags can affect us, but knowing how they affect us is also an important part of this. So, why do we as individuals fly flags? Again, I, I think it's about showing identity. One of my favorite games to play as a kid growing up was Capture the Flag, and it's amazing how competitive that game can get, or most games really, and this goes down to some basic human psychology too. We get tribal when we put ourselves into groups almost the, the moment we put ourselves into those groups at gym class when it's time for dodgeball and the teams are decided and everyone's on the opposite sides of the wall what do the players start to do before the whistle to start the game is blown oh we start smack talking we start talk, just dissing the other team you know we're not gonna just sit around and just like you know let them just stand there idly we're gonna start going oh we're gonna win we got this like you got nothing on us that, that's how we that's what happens the team we're on is only going to last all but maybe 10 minutes, but the tribalism of those two teams exists for those 10 minutes. And with political flags, that is essentially what we're doing. We're assigning ourselves a team. And suddenly the team you were on, it becomes us and your opponent is them. And perhaps you can see maybe just how this can be a bit of a dangerous thing to do within a single country. We're, we're all on the same team, technically. Even in my gym class example, everyone is still in the same class and at the same school. And this is the paradox of flags. They unite us and they can divide us. Again, I'm not gonna 
I'm not doing this show to tell you who you should support politically, nor am I trying to make everyone stop flying all their flags, but perhaps I just I want to issue a bit of a word of caution about our flags, especially the political flags within our different nations. Are we letting ourselves get into a team sport mentality unwittingly? In the United States, with the election having just happened, it, it seems like we might have. But I still think that we have more in common with each other than not. That maybe our many political flags have only increased that divide. It certainly feels to me that it has. With, with Joe Biden now president-elect, what will happen with all the Trump flags? And now there's some people who think that this was rigged, but as far as I'm going from what the sources I'm reading, Joe Biden's going to be our next president. So what's going to happen with the Trump flags again? And my bet is that they're going to stick around for some time. For while the yard signs get tossed into the bin, flags fly on. The, Con the Confederate battle flag is a good example of this. It's technically a rebel flag that fought and killed against the Stars and Stripes. The Confederacy lasted four years, and yet it's still a flag. Its battle flag is still flown throughout the United States today, some 100, almost 150 years later. And that's not limited to just the South anymore, either. Trump has been president for four years now as well, and his flags are everywhere, and they will probably stay everywhere for at least the next year or so, if not longer. And personally, I don't know that political flags are a good thing regardless of who they are for. And I know this sounds really pointed because the majority of the flags flown for a politician in this country are for Trump, but honestly, I, I worry about the effect that this will have on not only supporters of Trump, but those who don't support him as well. It's kind of like putting a wedge to divide even more. And I've mentioned that the Biden flag a couple of times now as well, and how it hasn't really caught on as much as the Trump's one has despite the fact that Biden has now won both the popular vote and the Electoral College this election. And frankly, I'm kind of glad the Biden flags are not becoming a, th a big thing. The last thing any country needs is to have millions of games of political capture the flag amongst the millions of lawns and yards of this divided populace using the worst designed flags. Perhaps these poorly designed flags have a silver lining though. When Hitler designed his flag, he designed it to specifically be a powerful symbol and to incite his racist and totalitarian views. That was his goal in mind, and I really doubt either Biden or Trump designed any of their flags themselves. And I certainly don't think that when those flags were made, that the designers wanted them to be used the way Hitler intended for his design, for his flag. And that's a good thing. I don't think a political flag is going to usurp old glory anytime soon. And that's in part because these political flags are not the greatest flags. They break the rules of design. And more than that, I think it's because the American flag is really well designed. And at the end of the day, we are all still Americans if, if you're an American. If you're not American, you're in your own country. But if you're an American, we're all Americans regardless of party. And again, we have a good flag. Our American flag is the, one of those few things that I think unites all of us, or at least it really should. And a really well designed flag endures. This has been Unfurled, the story of our flags. I just want to reiterate that this podcast is being produced for my undergraduate senior project and that all the views and opinions are my own and are not the opinions of BYU-Idaho. So again, I'm not trying to make any statements against or for a candidate in the United States election. And that's not what this show is about. And while I hope nobody gets upset about anything I said about their flags, I, 
I, I, just, I know that flies are tribal and that's just kind of life. Anyways, you can find more episodes of this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And so definitely subscribe. And if you can, please leave a review and comment. I really appreciate the feedback. This has been an episode I've wanted to do since I started the show. I was saving it for around the election time. And originally I wanted to have this one live before, like during the week of the election, before the polls opened. But with COVID-19 being what it is, I, I had to hold off for a little bit while I was, you know, stuck in quarantine. But I'm doing well now, and I'm excited to keep writing and recording these. I, I've got two more episodes planned for this podcast. After that, um, I might continue making these. I might not. It'll really just depend on how busy I am and how much of demand there is. Uh, I do want to give an update, however, on the Mississippi state flag. Uh, last episode, I, I discussed that they were in the process of changing their flag. And now that the election is over, they've chosen a new flag. Hooray! It it. And despite the requirements to have words on the flag, which is a big no-no, I think the design's actually, the designer did a pretty good job with it, really. The new design is called the Magnolia design, and it features the white magnolia flower on a field of blue, surrounded by stars and the words, in God we trust. But it's done well, I think. And it also has two gold vertical stripes on the left and the right, and then outside of that, it has two red vertical bars. So it's not just a blue sheet with a seal. It's got some design. There was some thought into it. And I think, I don't know, I, perhaps it's not the greatest flag, but for the most part, I was pleasantly surprised. And I think uh, it ranks fairly up there among state flags. And I think it'll represent the state of Mississippi very well. Anyway, that'll do it for me today. I'll catch you guys next time here on Unfurled, the story of our flags.